welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, three games at a time. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them, and that is pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. And uh, we've got... We got games today. We got game. We do. We got game. We are on the court, hoofing those bricks. Oh, wait, that's a bad one, actually. Uh, We're in the paint? That's a basketball thing, right? Probably. I, you know, it's funny. I like basketball, but I don't know very much about it. Yeah, that's fine. I'll just assume that, yes, you're right. That's that's a basketball thing. We do have a basketball game to play today. A real one. Uh, not Bill Lambier's combat basketball, but uh, an actual basketball game. So I'm excited for that. Keep forgetting, that was technically the first basketball game we played, but also, like, not a basketball game. Yeah. <laughs> What else do we have today? Well, after a little conversation about the NCAA basketball, we will be talking about Bond, James Bond, Jr. Uh, Which I believe is actually how he introduced himself on the show. (laughs) Of course it is. (laughs) Of course it is. Um, That's right, everybody. James Bond Jr., the licensed tie-in video game for the single-season James Bond-related children's television cartoon from the early 90s. I'm sure that one is going to be great. Sure was a great cartoon. Put that with all the other forgotten cartoons, like, uh, I don't know, Around the World and 80 Dreams. What is that? I don't even know about that. Oh, God. We're, okay, never mind. We're just starting a cartoon podcast now. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to talk about this really quick because I, I don't want to go too much into this because I'm going to derail everything. But um, so there were these two cartoons made by Saban. I think they were like French cartoons. There was Gulliver's Travels and Around the World in 80 Dreams. And Gulliver's Travels was obviously about, you know, Gulliver kind of loosely based on Gulliver's Travels, the the books. Was it multiple books or was it just like four chapters in the same book? I don't, I don't remember I now. I believe it's just four chapters in the same book, regardless, though. Regardless. There was that and then um, Around the World in 80 Dreams, which has nothing to do with Around the World in 80 Days at all. I think they maybe just renamed it that so that they could kind of like make it seem like it was a package deal with these two, you know, with like a literary focus, even though like – Okay. Around the World in 80 Dreams was just, like, a bunch of kids and a guy who I think w- the guy was based on, like, some singer in Brazil or something like that. I okay. don't even remember. Pardon the interruption of this impromptu cartoon podcast within your SNES podcast. I just have a quick correction to make. So the singer I was talking about, uh, his name was Carlos. He was not from Brazil. He was French, which would make sense given that I just got done saying this was a French cartoon. Not sure what I was thinking. And uh, that's it. Now back to your podcast within a podcast, I guess. They would all get on a raft provided to them by an old lady who was green for some reason. And they would go back in time and they would... Talk to some famous historical figure because the big guy, whose name I think was Carlos, would be telling the kids at the beginning of the show, like, oh, yeah, I knew that that famous guy from history and helped him out with a thing. And they're like, no, you didn't. He's like, OK, I'll show you. And then they go back in time and, uh-huh. and do all that. also the main dude can turn into a bull for some reason when he gets really angry. Man, this uh, this sounds like quite a show. I, I'm not that surprised. I've never heard of it because there's a lot of cartoons from from that era that have been sort of lost to history. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I kind of this... wish I did know about this one beforehand because it sounds wild, really. 
Yeah, I don't think anybody knows about these shows because I don't think either of them got any sort of home video release at all, at least in this country. Yep. Um, that makes sense. I remember Gulliver's Travels having a pretty good theme song, though. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's, um, that's Steampunk Link's cartoon corner for you there, so... <laughs> We are also going to be talking about Home Alone 2, Lost in New York today. Yeah, yeah. That's the third one. I just realized by doing all this, I now have to create a new bumper. Uh, (laughs) Why do I do this to myself? Why why do I do this to myself? It's my fault. I'm doing it to myself. It's your curse, your geese to bear. So, yeah, just embrace it. I say, this is who you are. I'm washing myself in old cartoons no one else remembers to prepare myself for all the sports we're going to have to talk about, I guess. That's it. You're fortifying yourself. Uh, really, you're fortifying the audience, too, so thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just get on with it and talk about some NCAA basketball? Let's do it. So I will say, um, right out of the gate, and actually, you know, I will say this, this kind of applies to all three of the games that we're going to talk about today, but every single one of these actually exceeded my expectations a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. The most so with NCAA basketball, well, I mean, I I don't know if I really had many expectations going into this one because we hadn't played a proper basketball game on the system yet. Sure. And I think this one is pretty good. I had a lot of fun playing it. I agree. Even though I am, I know very little about basketball. I, I grew up in a city that never had a basketball team. Same. I moved to Seattle after the Sonics had left, so yeah, I've never had basketball to watch or care about. I do think basketball is fun, though. Like I, I appreciate it in sort of the same way that I can appreciate soccer, where like it feels very like immediately comprehensible just looking at it, and it's fun to watch. I quite like basketball as like a distant observer of it. I would say, you know, I was pretty primed to be into a good basketball game, and I, I think largely that's what this is. Do you want to talk about who made this one uh, before we start talking about the game itself? Yeah, I don't think I need to say too much about them. This was developed by Sculptured Software and uh, published by Nintendo themselves. I'm pretty sure we we have talked about Sculptured Software before. We've definitely talked about Sculptured Software. They've developed so many games for the system uh, at this point. They're, they're pretty well-traveled ground for us, and um, I think they did a good job here. Probably the most striking thing about this game is that it uses Mode 7 graphics to create a pseudo-3D behind-the-back perspective for the court that really, you know, kind of closely follows whatever player has the ball, and I think it actually works really well. I do, too. I I think it's a bummer that it does sort of preclude there being any sort of background elements. Like, it just kind of looks like this basketball court floating in a weird blue void. That is definitely true. But the court itself looks good. The players are nice, big, pretty well-animated sprites. And it's always pretty easy to see everything that's going on in a way that's useful. I think it works. I I do, too. This is a fun game to play. It's straightforward without being simplistic, I would say. You know, you have different buttons for passing, for changing which player is kind of your player that you're in control of. If if you don't have control of the ball, you know, shooting makes sense. It all basically just works. Yeah, I felt like this was maybe one of the few 
proper sports titles that I've played where I actually felt myself keeping up with the AI-controlled opponent. Yeah, me too. I think that's just testament to you know how intuitive the game really is. It, it wasn't hard to kind of pick up the controls and, and figure things out. So there's a couple of options here. You can play an exhibition game, so just like a one-off game against the computer or another player, or you can play an entire season trying to earn a spot in the big March Madness tournament. Definitely in the exhibition games. I don't know if this is the way it is in season play as well. You can select different lengths for the periods in the game, which is kind of useful because, you know, if you don't really want to play like a full 15 minutes of a basketball, you know, at one time, uh, you can instead set the period length to six minutes or what have you, which I appreciate. But yeah, as far as options go, I don't think there's like a ton, actually. Some things I noticed that were sadly lacking here, I I didn't see a two-player co-op mode, which I can kind of understand. That might have been a technical limitation. Still, that having been such a common um, feature in so many sports games, games up to this point. It was a little disappointing. I agree. Um, This game does use real team names and logos. There were only uh, five conferences represented in this game, that being Southwest, Southeastern, Atlantic Coast, Big East, and Big Eight and whatever teams would have been in those conferences back then. I'm not going to name them all for you, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Though fictional players, which I think is pretty par for the course from from what I know with games based on college sports. Yeah, back then it would have been mandatory that they could not have used any player names. That's a whole cluster F. That's part of the whole thing that's going on right now. Yeah, they are finally actually compensating the people who are putting their bodies out there on the line for these athletic competitions and things like that. honestly have much else to say about the game itself. But I like it. I think it looks good. And I think that it works as a video game very well, while also maintaining the sense that you're you're playing the game of basketball. Yeah, I think the only other thing I would say about this is that I was a bit overwhelmed at first. I did not know basketball had named positions. I just assumed there were people on the court and they're all trying to get the ball and, and shoot it. So like, finding out like, oh my gosh, there's, there's named positions here? I, I, what are you going to tell me? Like soccer has named positions too? Uh-huh. Okay, sure. <laughs> you can change your playbook on the fly. And that made me realize like, wait a minute, basketball has playbooks too? What the, what is happening <laughs> right now? But anyway, um, I didn't have to engage a whole lot in that. I was playing on easy, but it does seem like if you are way more into basketball than we are, there's a lot of micromanaging and stuff like that you can do. You can get into the real specifics of it if you want to. It seems like it can be as deep as you want it to be in some ways, which is probably a good thing for people who, again, know a lot more about basketball than I do. Indeed, yeah. Also, no watch mode on this one, so I was a bit bummed by that too, but you know. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, is it time to go to the list? I believe it is. So I will definitely say this game left a better impression on me than I think almost any of the baseball games that we've played up to this point. What do you think? Oh, yes. I certainly agree with that. I think that, honestly, we're looking more in the range of the two fairly high-ranking soccer games we have on here, uh, Super Soccer Champ and Super Soccer at 25 and 26, respectively. Super Soccer was the one that had the more dynamic camera. That was the one that actually was trying to do something that was a bit similar to this game using Mode 7 to kind of mimic a 3D behind-the-back camera. I definitely think that this game does the dynamic camera better than Super Soccer did, and I think I just like this more than I like Super Soccer Champ at number 25. What do you think? I agree with that, which is a good sign for me not really being a person who's endemically uh, a fan of the sport. 
that I can pick up the game and be like, oh yeah, I get this, and I enjoy playing this. I also think this game was less janky than, like, Joe and Mac at number 23. Sure, yeah. wanting to put it up higher than that. We got Gradius at number 3 at 20, or sorry, we have Gradius 3 (laughs) at number 22. (laughs) Do you think this is a better game than Gradius 3? Because I I really like the way Gradius 3 does its power-ups and everything. Tell me what you think. Gradius 3 is distinctively good as far as its genre goes on the system. It does have the pretty wide-ranging technical problems that we've talked about in the past. I mean, obviously, this game was coming out a lot later on than Gradius 3 did. But I think that NCAA Basketball handles what could be a pretty tricky technical implementation of the mode seven effect very well and in a way that really adds to the game yeah i mean i'm not going to sit here and say like it's the smoothest experience you could imagine no but no but for but what it works pulling off it, yeah it definitely works so it sounds like maybe we're leaning towards putting it above gradius 3 is that what i'm hearing i think so actually yeah uh, we have adam's family at number 21 i don't really know how to compare these two honestly like, I'm not really sure what grounds I would be able to compare the Adams Family to NCAA basketball. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I had more fun with the Adams Family, but that's mostly because I'm a much bigger fan of platform video games than I am of basketball games in general. Yes, and I would say the same thing. You know, it's, it's not a game where people are going back to it like, oh, yeah, the Adams Family on Super NES. That was an amazing game. It, it's almost good enough to be that, but... Definitely just has some, some rough edges. I think the thing for me is that, like, I wish I had a few more basketball games already on the list that I could compare this to and kind of get an idea of, like, how good is this as a basketball game? Right? Yeah. Because my instinct tells me this is better at being basketball than the Adams Family is at being a side-scrolling 2D platformer. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, like... You know, it's a 2D platformer, so it's not hard to get into. So, you know, maybe I'm kind of creeping into, like, that whole accessibility argument again. Sure, sure, sure. You know, like, it's a game that that has a a lower barrier to entry. Let me put it this way. I definitely don't think that it goes above Spanky's Quest, because I think Spanky's Quest is very solid at what it's doing. I agree. And Spanky's Quest has things like genuinely clever level design and, you know, a very well-thought-out central mechanic that just feels elegant. So in the case of, like, The Addams Family, we have something like Spanky's Quest to compare it to, even though they are pretty different games. Spanky's Quest is more of like a 2D side-scrolling like puzzle arcade platformer kind of thing. Like you can see how it's doing the the 2D platform mechanics so much better and in like everything is just everything just feels so much more well designed than Adam's Family does. It kind of makes me want to put NCAA between Spanky's Quest and Adam's Family. The more you talk about it, the more I think I am good with that. Yeah, if nothing else, it puts a little bit more of a gulf between those two, because I do think that like Spanky's Quest is such a much more polished experience than the Adam's Family is. Well, okay, let's let's do it then. Uh, congratulations to NCAA Basketball. You are now our new number 21 game on the list, which is a very good showing. Yeah, does this make this the highest ranked sports game that we've got on the list so far? Unless you want to count, uh, you know, Top Gear or Super Mario Kart as a sports game, which I don't really think you can. Not not in the same way. Then yes, NCAA Basketball is, by a decent little bit, the highest ranked sports game we have. I Dare I say this might bode well for basketball on the Super Nintendo? I think it might, in fact. I sure hope so, because I, I don't want to have to like go through a whole other sport of games that aren't very good, like what it feels like we're Ooh. doing with baseball. I feel you there, for sure. 
And hey, you know what? If nothing else, it keeps me encouraged about this whole prospect of staying the course on continuing to do sports games. You know, I'll say this about sports games. It is a much wider field than I expected it to be in terms of quality, in terms of technical implementation, mechanics, all of that. It's been much less predictable in a lot of ways going through sports games on the Super Nintendo than I expected it to be. So uh, I don't have any kind of segue here. Do you want to talk about um, the other two games that we have to talk yeah, about Yeah, let's do it. It's a, this is a hard one to segue between. But uh, next up, we are moving from something that neither of us really have much experience with basketball to something that at least I have a little bit of experience with James Bond Jr. Jr. No one can stop him but scum always tries Young Bond cuts through each web of spies James Bond Jr. This is a a tie-in video game for the cartoon James Bond Jr. which I don't know how widely remembered this thing was, but uh, I definitely did watch this when I was a kid. I did not have any experience with James Bond as a wider media property when this show came out. So it was really just one of many action cartoons designed to sell toys that, uh, that, that I watched as a kid. But I do remember liking it pretty well. And then um, when I got older, never thinking I should go back to it. And I mean, with, with 90s nostalgia still being such a big thing like this is something i never hear people bring up like no i remember it being a thing i don't really remember the theme song which you know we're gonna play if we haven't already oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh i remember that theme song that thing's never left my head so yep and, and yeah. now it'll never leave any of yours listening to this either you're welcome um yeah but yes i i remember this like being on when i would come home from school but i'd always just sort of find something else to watch and again like because i had no real interest in the source material james bond i i just had no interest in in even engaging with this at all back in the day no yeah and i mean to be fair like james bond was going through a bit of a dry spell at the time right basically the end of the 80s uh, i believe in 89 yeah i think so something happened with the movie studio mgm which owned the james bond movie license at the time where it became impossible effectively for anybody to make a James Bond movie for a number of years. Uh, By all rights, they probably would have made more movies with what was then the current actor playing James Bond, Timothy Dalton, but they only ended up making two because of this rights issue. And then the movie series effectively went away until the mid-90s when it came back with the Pierce Brosnan movie uh, Goldeneye. Basically, James Bond Jr. was made because Eon Productions, the, the company that owns and manages the James Bond like property wanted to make some money and there was definitely an easy path forward to making money off of James Bond by making a children's cartoon that you could use to sell a lot of toys. Uh, James Bond is already a character who has a lot of gadgets and cool vehicles and stuff. So why not just make like a, a, a kid's version of that? I'm sure there were a lot of James Bond Jr. toys, action figures. Uh, I don't think any of this was very successful so I don't know how much of those they actually managed to sell. The only thing I saw that that caught my attention in researching for this was that apparently the show, despite the fact that it only ran for one 65-episode season uh, between 91 and 92, uh, it also got a Marvel Comics run. A, A short one, I imagine. Marvel Comics. 
This show had a weird relationship to the James Bond property. I think it's really funny that James Bond is a character who's mainly known for sleeping with a lot of women and having a license to kill. And in a children's cartoon, the equivalent character can't have sex and can't uh, kill people. Can we also talk about the fact that his name is James Bond Jr., but apparently he is the nephew of James Bond? This raises so many questions. Like, James Bond has siblings, if this is the case. Like, has that, has that ever been brought up in any of the movies? No, I don't think so. I am willing to believe, honestly, that James Bond Jr. is his quote-unquote nephew, because, you know, I mean, come on. That dude's definitely got some kids out there that he doesn't even know about, right? <laughs> like, there's no way. He's probably got, like, 20 kids. I don't know if I like that reimagining of this better, or if there's, like, I don't know, what's a funny British name? Clive? It's, like, Clive Bond out there. That's it's James Bond's brother that he never talks about. and Gerald? Gerald Bond. Gerald yeah. Bond. <laughs> he's, you know, like, like Gerald is just sort of like insecure about his place in the world because he's got this uh -huh. super famous brother. And oh, you know what? what? You know what this is? This is like a Mario and Luigi situation. There we go. There we go. Luigi and Daisy having a kid. And, and Daisy's like, let's name him after you. And Luigi's like, ah, what if we name him uh, Mario Jr. instead of a Luigi Jr.? Like, nobody knows a Luigi. Nobody's going to like a Luigi Jr. But a Mario Jr. Ah. Yes. <laughs> so, like, there's other stuff that's real weird about the, the whole setup for James Bond Jr. that I didn't quite remember until I was reading the Wikipedia page. Like, apparently, James Bond Jr goes to a boarding school like a like an academy with the children of several other James Bond characters like his gadget guy is Q's grandson IQ cuz that's clever <laughs> One of his friends is the the child of the American CIA agent that James Bond is friends with, Felix Leiter. It's like, what? How does this happen? Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, you just put all these people together in a place where if somebody wanted to, like, hold the world for ransom, just kidnap these kids. <laughs> like... Like, it's like all of the super spies that take care of this stuff don't aren't going to do anything. If you have their kids captured, like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> this this whole series, like, this whole thing is bonkers. Yeah, it's wild. It's really wild. Yeah, that's, that's James Bond Jr. He fights an evil organization called Scum that has some original characters in it, but also, like, extremely weirdly reimagined versions of various villains from James Bond stories. There's like a version of Dr. No, who I think in the Dr. No movie, he's just like an old British guy. But in this, he's got green skin and metal hands. I don't know. James Bond Jr. is just a, a very strange thing from a very specific moment in history. And that was a moment in history that also involved basically everything getting a licensed video game. And that's what we've got here. Yeah, and uh, this one was made by Grey Matter and uh, published by THQ. So uh, Grey Matter, I think they've come up before. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, kind of a company with a bit of a checkered history that will certainly come up again in the future. Um, they worked on a lot of licensed games. 
including one that I might say is the worst video game I have ever played. Wow. At least worst game released by a major studio, and that game was The Crow City of Angels for the Sega Saturn. Oh, boy, yeah. Yeah, remember that one? Yeah, that game is worse than Pit Fighter. Uh, That's the one that you physically destroyed after we played it that one time, which is the only time I've ever seen you feel the need to do that. So take that as you will, folks. Keep in mind, like, this was way back when we were doing YouTube stuff. We did not have cameras on us, so I didn't do that for just, like, theatrics. No, no, it wasn't like a bit. Like, this was just once we were done recording everything, you took the disc out and you threw it at the wall. I did. I was that angry at this game. And, yeah, I didn't even actually mean to break it, but but I sure did. So not not my proudest moment, but, um, but yeah. Um, anyway. This game's not as bad as that one, I don't think. No. <laughs> no, not by a long shot. Really quick before we uh, move on from Grey Matter. Uh, fun fact about them, Grey Matter was founded by Chris Gray, clever, who was one of the co-creators of Balderdash. Wow. Which is uh, an old PC game that uh, has come out on everything and I think still sees uh, releases, versions getting released on various platforms and whatnot. So I just thought that was interesting. That is interesting. That's not what I would have expected, actually, but that's kind of cool. It's a shame that the games made by his self-named studio didn't really live up to that legacy. So anyway, I guess we've talked a lot about the cartoon and the company. Let's talk about this game, uh, which kind of goes between shooting stages, like a side-scrolling, horizontally-scrolling shooter levels and just regular old 2D platforming, running around, punching dudes kind of Yep, punching and kicking. None of the animation's very good, but I do think that I would say the shooting levels are more attractive looking than the on-foot levels. JBJ, he can run, he can jump. He doesn't feel great to control, but there, there are worse platform game characters to control, but I wouldn't really say he's very fun. He's got kind of weird hitboxes when he does his his punches and kicks on enemies. Yeah, I, I thought he controlled sort of okay. My biggest problem was, like, the limitations and, like, some of the movements that they gave the character. Like, for example, he can do, a like, a combat role when you're ducking if you kind of, like, push the left or right on the D-pad while you're crouched, which is kind of neat, but also because, like, it's not mapped to a button, I found myself accidentally doing it when I was just meaning to crouch at some points. Also, he cannot punch while crouched, which I found really annoying. That's super weird to me. Like, I don't really get why that's the way it is. So do we want to dive into, like, the shooting stages first, or do we want to dive into the platforming stages first? No, let's let's talk about the shooting stages. The beginning of this game is really strange, because you get kind of a little bit of setup for this first adventure. The game is divided into a few different, like, kind of sets of levels that are supposed to, to kind of mimic the, the arc of, like, a normal episode of the show. But basically, you get, you know, a few cutscenes, then you get a very, very short little bit of the platforming game play like literally just like a couple of screens and then you run into the villain and inexplicably without any kind of transition suddenly you're in one of the uh one of the shooting stages yeah i was baffled by this i actually thought there was something wrong with my version of the game for a little while uh when that happened the first time it's like what is that well it's it's not even just that like the stage ends but like 
it'll linger on the last note of the music that just played. Like, I seriously thought the game had crashed. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it feels weird. It was very strange. Then you're in a shooting stage where you're in James's bright yellow mini helicopter. The shooting is, it, it feels okay. I think we have played worse horizontally scrolling shooters than this in the past. You have a couple of different weapons. You have a normal shot that shoots out in front of you and a bomb you can drop below you. Uh, infinite ammo for both of them. There's a shield power-up you can get that makes these three little balls float around your helicopter that will each take one hit for you. And you can get a power-up for the missile that shoots in front of you that'll make shrapnel burst out from it. That's pretty much what you've got for the first one of these levels. That changes a little bit for the later ones. But yeah, I thought this was okay. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I got frustrated in a few parts where like it'll respawn you in kind of a not great place. Yeah, the checkpointing isn't fantastic for this. At least there are checkpoints, but they sometimes feel like they're in weird places and like you have to repeat far more of the stage than you probably should have to. I also kept noticing like there's these satellite towers that you can blow up that don't seem to actually attack you in any way. I wasn't sure if like yeah. I was supposed to destroy those if like not destroying one would cause me to have to replay the mission again at the end or uh, you know I, I wasn't sure what was going on with those. It wasn't clear. I didn't really notice any difference from it, which is sort of strange, given that, yeah, you're right. I don't think those, seemingly those don't do anything to you. What if you're the bad guy all along? Why did you destroy those towers? Oh, no. Gamer. Oh, no. (laughs) I also thought that there was the goofiest enemy unit that I've ever seen in one of these, like, guys who parachute out of a plane run along the ground, jump up on a trampoline, and try to take down your yes. helicopter by grabbing onto <laughs> yes, the bottom yes. of it. I thought that was goofy and just the kind of weirdness that I was like, okay, game, all right, I'm on board for this. Yeah, no, sure. those were those are fine. And then you uh, fight a big old plane helicopter thing at the end. I can't even remember what it is. And then yep. that level ends, and the next one begins, and now you are on foot, and uh, this is where I had significantly less Yeah, fun. this is sort of where it goes off the rails, because the, the on-foot gameplay is really really subpar the levels are these big kind of sprawling things that don't really feel intuitive to explore and it's not the worst platforming i've played it's not like home alone or robocop 3 in that respect but it's not good i wouldn't really say any of this is fun In some ways, Junior feels really nimble, like, again, kind of talking about, like, the combat role, but in other ways, he feels really stiff, like the fact that his combat role has a very set distance and the fact that he can't attack while he's crouched. There's a lot of snakes in this level, and you can pick up, like, whistles to charm the snakes, which I guess will freeze them in place for a set amount of time. You also pick up little red grenades that... Have very contained explosions for grenades. If if you want to kill a snake with one of those, you have to hit it precisely. Uh, there's no area of effect on those grenades, apparently. There's also enemies that are wearing big masks and literally chucking spears at you. Which, uh... Yeah, it's it's not great. You know what? This isn't the only game that we're going to play on the Super Nintendo that has this 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 sort of racist <laughs> caricature in it but it is one of the sure isn't. It, it is one of the first ones i think that we've come up to that really really just has that going on like it's not a thing not like it's not a problem at all and um it 
isn't great. There, there were some things in the nineties we we just were blissfully unaware of, and I'm sure that that the folks making this game just didn't even think they were doing anything that anybody could have a problem yeah. with. You know, yeah. So the game's graphics on the whole are not that good i think the sprite for james bond jr himself is pretty ugly looking it's bad yeah it's it looks like someone sort of very roughly tried to like trace an image of the character but in like really sort of fuzzy pixel graphics where they didn't really try to add a lot of detail or personality to it or the whole thing just feels very cheap in a lot of ways and it probably kind of was honestly probably like i don't want to like assume you know a lot about the level of effort that that people put into their work but i bet this game was just made so that it could come out when the show was still on the air or right afterwards so that like the few kids who were watching it would like recognize it and be like oh yeah i want to play a game based on that because i like the show well i think they actually missed that boat by several months because i think the show ended in march and we're in what October? I mean, yeah, they definitely missed that boat. And I will say, as one of the kids who did watch this show, I never even knew this game existed. I don't know. This game is is a pretty weak licensed game that I think, you know, the the, the fact that they've broken it up with the shooting stages between the platforming levels is kind of admirable because at least they were trying to add a second kind of gameplay in here and that at least is better than the platforming stuff but yeah the the side-scrolling platforming really does just sort of bring the game down in this case let's end on this note because i just realized we didn't even talk about james bond jr's appearance just in general no we didn't it's true we didn't talk about what this dude actually looks like because maybe everybody who's been listening to this up to this point who has no idea that this character even existed that this cartoon ever even existed are thinking like a little teenage james bond in a tuxedo no he's just some friggin kid wearing sneakers jeans and like a members only jacket yeah like, he looks he looks like a jerk frankly <laughs> He's got that kind of high 90s hair, sort of the same thing that the American guy in uh, Captain Planet had. He looks like a, a boardroom designed a cool kid, basically. Anyway, I guess uh, probably time to go see where this guy belongs on the list. Huh? I guess so, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm looking at something like down at number 57. What, what do we have right now on, on this? We got... 87 games on the list. I'm looking at 57 Super Adventure Island, yeah. which is a game I didn't have a lot of good things to say about. I think this game might be a little better than that, now that I think about it. I think the shooting stages push this one up above Super Adventure Island a little bit. Um, above that, we've got F1 ROC Race of Champions at number 56. I do not remember this game at all. This this game was basically like a fairly janky, sort of almost like an off-brand F-Zero in some ways, with like these really ugly, weirdly shaped versions of F1 cars. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, it did not have, from what I remember, I think this game did not have music during the driving sections, which was a big problem. Oh, yeah. I mean, I might honestly say I'd rather play James Bond Jr. than F1 ROC, Race of Champions. Yeah, I think I would 
too. At the very least, you know, maybe I'd, I'd play through the shooting stages again. Also, this game does feature a password system, so you can just play the levels you want if that's the way you want to go with it. An appealingly easy password system. It is literally four characters. The the first password is just 0007, so that'll just take you right to level two, I think. So yeah, I would put this above F1. We got extra innings at 55. We've got Super Bowling at 54, which I think is the ceiling. I don't think this is uh, better than Super Bowling. Um, Actually, one second there. I believe we have another slight discrepancy on the list here. Because oh, no. <laughs> I have Right and Trad at 54, and then Super Bowling at 53. Uh, once again, Emmy's list was correct. I somehow put these two games in the wrong order. The correct order at the time was Super Bowling at 53 with Raiden Trad at number 54. But, you know, conveniently, I think I would put James Bond Jr. below both of those. So I would be pretty comfortable putting this as our new number 55 over Extra Innings, which is a baseball game that I honestly just don't remember anything about at this point, which I don't think really bodes that well for it, personally. So 55 right below, right in trad and or Super Bowling? Yeah. Okay, I'm cool with that. And then we'll get this other mess sorted out later. Way to go, James Bond, junior, nephew, person. (laughs) 90s cartoons sure were nuts. They really were. They really, really were. You know what else was nuts in the 90s? The fact that basically everything got a sequel. And in this case, we mean Home Alone, because Home Alone was a big, successful movie. They made a sequel to it, uh, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, and then they made a game based on it. They sure did. Am I correct in saying that this was actually made by the same people that made the previous Home Alone game that we talked about? I believe so. This was published by THQ. I'm pretty sure it was the same folks who worked on both. Yeah, actually, I think there were like a bunch of different Home Alone games, um, just all made by different people. But uh, I think this one was made by Imagineering, who yes. also made the first home, the first Home Alone game that we played on the Super Nintendo. Uh, and they're the folks that uh, that made like uh, you know the the vast majority of the Simpsons games that we kind of briefly briefly touched on a couple episodes ago. I'd say we more than briefly touched on them, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know. Each individual one. They didn't make Bart's Nightmare, but they did make Bart versus the Space Mutants, Bart versus the World, uh, Escape from Camp Deadly. All of those things were Imagineering joints. Yeah, and, and speaking of uh, Bart versus the Space Mutants, according to Moby Games, some of the sound effects from Home Alone 2 were just ripped straight from Bart versus the Space Mutants. They definitely sound kind of familiar. When we were starting out the episode here, when we were talking about uh, NCAA basketball, I said that all these games exceeded my expectations. And that includes this one. Granted, Home Alone right now is, what, like the third worst game on our list? Uh, it's uh, actually doing a little better than that. It's the fifth worst game, but it was really far down at the bottom. It was second, I think, only to Pit Fighter for a very long time. Home Alone, I will say, made a very bad impression, partially because I think it was the first licensed game we played that was that was as bad as what you would expect a licensed game to be. Yeah, I think we're both in agreement that this game is very evidently uh, a better game that had more effort put into it, as far as I can tell, than than the first Home Alone game was. 
it definitely feels more like a, a complete gaming experience than the original one did, which almost felt like a little mini game that was being passed off as its own game. Right, yeah. This one has like different levels and objectives and things yeah, like it, that. Yeah, it feels like it's it's just a more fully fleshed out game. So I've definitely got to give it that. So yeah, so when I say this game exceeded my expectations, like my expectations were coming from the previous game, which is, you know, so far one of the worst five games we've played on the system. So it's better than that. I actually found myself kind of making some progress as I continued to play this game, which is maybe a little bit more than I could say for the first one. Um, Now, granted, the first time I played this, like, I started the game... I stood still for two seconds, and a bellhop just grabbed me from behind and started strangling me, and, and I, I just immediately died. Yeah, so the first level in this game is set in a hotel, and uh, all the staff in the hotel just want to kill Kevin McAllister. They just want him to die, which, you know, from what I remember of the movie, probably kind of fair. Yeah. This is, um, you know, like the first Home Alone game, side-scrolling platformer, where uh, Kevin... It has to avoid a bunch of adults that are out to get him and get through to to the end of the of the level, which yeah, um at least that goal is is more clearly laid out here than the thing you had to do in the first game. Yeah, so there is a lot of BS that still happens in this game, like enemies that will just kill you in one shot. Don't do that. It's not always obvious like what enemy is just going to mean a one hit KO and and which one is just going to take some, you know, just going to cause you to take some damage, but you can still keep going. I assumed that vacuum cleaners wouldn't be that kind of enemy, but they are. Kevin gets sucked into the vacuum cleaner. It's kind of horrifying. This hotel is really intense. You just got like yeah, bellhops he, trying to strangle children and, and vacuum cleaners that can just murder a child. Yeah, it's it's like Luigi's Mansion 3, but this time you're the ghost. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's um it's real weird. Also, like you've got women with umbrellas for some reason, sentient luggage trying to murder you. Yeah, luggage, golf clubs, all these things that are just out to get you. One thing I liked about the game was that Kevin does have just a default attack where he can slide on his knees by hitting down while you're in the middle of a run. But the thing I don't like about this game is how consistent or how inconsistent attacks are against different kinds of enemies like you can't do that against human enemies or vacuum cleaners but you can do it against luggage and mops why i don't know why not i picked up like i think a paper crane or something that gave me a screw attack basically but the screw attack only works on on certain enemies and it's not obvious which ones can be hurt by that and which ones can't like there, there just isn't any consistency to what you can actually do with with what attack um against different enemies and and it's really annoying it 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 means you almost need just like a a notebook full of notes telling you okay if you see a maid don't try using your sliding attack because you'll still take damage or okay if you see the person with the catering tray you can hit them with your plunger gun to stun them and then you can slide under them but you can't actually defeat them using the slide attack, and if they're not stunned when you slide, you still take damage. That kind of complication is not to this game's benefit. Like, this is not a game that feels like it it should be built around discovering and then using uh, an intricate series of enemy strengths and weaknesses to progress. Like, it, it just... It, 
I don't know that that is such a weird aspect to this that because in a lot of ways one thing I will give this game credit for over the first one is that the first one it felt like somebody was honestly like almost trying to like overthink things and be like you know, okay, well, how do we make a platform game that fits into the scenario created by the movie Home Alone? Whereas in this, they're just like, screw it, we're just making a platform game. Here's a bunch of of bouncing luggage that's going to try to get you. Here's levels with different entry and exit points that you have to get from one into the other of, you know, this is this is the better way to go with making making a game like this. That's great, except the overcomplication is still there in things like what you're talking about with the the inexplicably vast number of different ways you have to approach different enemies in order to progress. got a whole lot else to say about this game um when you get to the end of like the first area you have to hit an elevator button over and over again to call the elevator while luggage attacks you from another elevator once you get on the elevator you're watching the elevator go up for a surprisingly long amount of time yeah to the point where you think like should i be doing something yeah yeah i'm like i was just like this this game has no respect for my time right now i don't know how closely it's following the plot of the movie because i honestly don't remember a whole lot of the the second movie i know that we see what i think is supposed to be tim curry's character from the movie like a still of him saying that you know yeah kevin's here he's using a credit card and i just wanted to let all the other hotels in the area know and then we go to harry and marv who are like hey i need the i need backup and i it's like is that a thing that happens in that movie I don't remember. I, yeah, I don't know. I saw. I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid, so I don't. But know. we already know from the first one that like they they like to play kind of fast and loose with the plot of these movies anyway. So oh yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, aside from the stuff we've been talking about, it really is very similar to the first game. You know, uh, it feels about the same to control. The graphics are the same sort of weird, almost digitized characters. You know, it yeah. Um, it, well, it's actually, not I great. thought there was less of that in this game. Like the the characters just look like just video game sprites, which I think is is fine. Like I think the Kevin sprite actually works better here than than the weird thing that they tried to do with him in the first uh, game. Yeah, actually, I do agree with that. And there's nothing in this game that's as horrifying as the Daniel Stern sprite from the first <laughs> game, uh, right? Which was just whew, man. You also don't actually have to. Yeah, you also don't actually have to listen to Kevin scream between lives too, which is nice. Yeah, there's definitely some improvements here, but overall, still not really a great game. So, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about it either. So, what do you say we go to the list and try to find a home for this game? Yeah, and honestly, I think I've already kind of got a place picked out for it here because I'm looking at the bottom of the list because I, I don't, I still don't think this is a good game, but I'm kind of looking at where. I'm I'm seeing a divide between games that are just almost unplayable and games that are like really really bad but at least functional games and I feel like that line is between Zardion at number 76 and George Foreman's KO Boxing at 77. Yes. And I kind of feel like Home Alone 2 belongs between those two. What do you think? You know, I think that sounds great honestly. Like I have no argument against that. Yeah, because I, I think this is much more playable than George Foreman's KO Boxing, but I don't think this is nearly the complete experience that, say, like Zardion is, you know, despite all of its flaws. I do agree with that. Uh, no, I think that makes total sense. So I'm okay. very happy putting Home Alone 2 here on the list at number 77. 
All right, so Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, is our new number 77. And, uh, yeah, we've got 89 games on this list. Yeah, we're only a few episodes away from uh, from re- reaching that big 100, so... Yeah, I wonder... That's exciting. We still haven't quite decided what we're going to do for that, but we should do something special for game number 100 i think well for now let's look ahead and see what we're going to be playing next time and oh looking at the list uh we have at least one game that i i think is going to be quite fun to talk about next time we've got hook based on the robin williams peter pan movie king of the monsters and the next game that is technically on the list, we are unfortunately going to have to skip because it is another Super Scope light gun game, which currently we can't really play. Uh, so we will be skipping Battle Clash and instead playing the next game down, which is Blazion, the Bio Cyborg Challenge. Those will be our games for next time. Yeah, so we've got um, a Peter Pan game. We've got a Godzilla game, I believe, right? That's what King of the Monsters it's is? It's like Godzilla-esque. I don't think it actually has the license, though. So, Oh, uh, okay. Well, we'll find out. And then Blazion, which I have no clue what that is. But it's an Atlas game. It's an Atlas game, and uh, the Bio-Cyborg Challenge is a very fun name. So I hope the game lives up to it. We can only hope. Well, folks, uh, I think that's going to do it for us for today. Uh, Do you have anything else you wanted to say before we sign off here? You know, not really. Uh, I think I've said my piece. I think I'm very comfortable with where we ended up putting the games today. And yeah, like you said at the top of the show, I do think these all kind of exceeded my expectations, even if only just a little bit in certain cases. All right. And you know what? Hey, we'll never have to play another Home Alone game for this show ever again, I think. Oh, now that's that's the sweetest thing of all, really. All right. Well, everyone, thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Any Zero. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. It's